Hi there, I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We know you're here for the latest episode of Stephanomics. But we wanted to tell you about another podcast we think you'll like. It's called Bloomberg Daybreak Europe Edition. Every morning we bring you headline news from around the world. Exclusive reporting from our global team of 2,700 journalists and analysts. Plus news-making interviews with CEOs and global leaders. All of this and more in just 15 minutes in your podcast feed every morning from 7am London time. Just search for Bloomberg Daybreak Europe Edition. And if you can't wait that long, here's the latest episode. Good morning. It's Tuesday the 16th of January here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Iowa delivers a resounding win for Donald Trump in his bid for the Republican presidential nomination. America and the UK warn commercial vessels to avoid the Red Sea as a merchant ship is hit with a ballistic missile. Plus, Musk wants more. The Tesla CEO says he needs 25% control before developing the firm's AI projects. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Donald Trump has cruised to victory in the Iowa Republican presidential caucus, with Ron DeSantis finishing a distant second and Nikki Haley third. Ohio entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy ended his presidential bid after a disappointing showing. Republican political consultant Rick Davis explains how the nomination race could now unfold for Donald Trump. If Trump does run the table and gets both Iowa and New Hampshire, a really unusual thing, uh, then he's got four uh, weeks to consolidate his hold on South Carolina. And we've seen early polling. The campaign hasn't gotten to South Carolina yet, so it's not reflective of a real campaign. But right now he's 20 points ahead of uh, Nikki Haley, who uh, calls it home. So, And then after that, the really next big thing is Super Tuesday. So he could actually walk into Super Tuesday basically un challenge at that point. Bloomberg Politics contributor and partner at Stonecourt Capital, Rick Davis, speaking there. Allies and adversaries around the world are closely watching the 2024 US presidential race, in which Trump and Biden are offering starkly different visions for America's global role. A December morning consultant Bloomberg News poll showed Trump leading Biden in the seven swing states that will likely decide the outcome of the election. Houthi militants have attacked a US-owned container ship in the Red Sea. The vessel was hit by a ballistic missile but avoided significant damage or injuries to its crew. The attack follows a warning from the US and UK to merchant ships to avoid the area until further notice. The EU Economy Commissioner Paolo Gentiloni sees the potential for global economic fallout from the crisis. What is happening in the Red Sea is not for the moment um, apparently creating consequences on energy prices and inflation, but uh, we think that it should be monitored very closely because these consequences could materialize in the coming weeks. Paolo Gentiloni there. The latest attack in the Red Sea comes after American and British forces bombed the Houthis in an effort to deter them from disrupting global shipping. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak defended those joint airstrikes in Parliament. He told MPs the Houthis' aggression was the biggest attack on the Royal Navy for decades. I stress that this action was taken in self-defence. It was limited, not escalatory. It was a necessary and proportionate response to a direct threat to UK vessels and therefore to the UK itself. 
Rishi Sunak added that he hopes the airstrikes would de-escalate the conflict. However, the world's largest shipping association, BIMCO, is warning disruption in the area could last for some time. The number of ships passing through the Southern Red Sea since Friday has fallen by more than half compared to the corresponding period a month earlier. Iran has launched missile strikes against targets in northern Iraq and Syria. Bloomberg's Dan Schwartzman has the details. Four people were killed and six others wounded in an Iranian missile attack in the northern Iraqi city of Erbil. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps has taken responsibility for the strike. The state-run Islamic Republic news agency says the Revolutionary Guard launched ballistic missiles on the, quote, espionage bases of anti-Iranian terrorist groups in Iraq and Syria. In a statement, the IRGC says the strike was in response to recent targeted killings in the country. No American or coalition forces stationed in Iraq and Syria were injured in the missile strikes. The U.S. also shot down three drones near Erbil Airport. Dan Schwartzman, Bloomberg Radio. UK inflation will drop to 1.5% in May, according to a forecast from ING. The bank's view is that easing pressure from food and energy bills could pave the way for the Bank of England to cut interest rates sooner. Bloomberg's James Wilcock has more. The consensus view among economists has inflation falling to 2.1% in mid-2025. ING's James Smith thinks it will hit 1.5% in just four months. He predicts falls and price rises in nearly every major component and gas prices will bring the Bank of England under target by May. If correct, the data could be a boost to Rishi Sunak, who has staked political capital on bringing inflation under control. In London, James Wilcock, Bloomberg Radio. Apple will remove the blood oxygen feature on its smartwatches to avoid a US ban if an appeal fails. The International Trade Commission ruled in October that Apple's devices violate the patents of medical equipment maker Massimo. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman says that Apple's challenge against that decision will be crucial in giving the company more time to find a solution. Well, if it's not immediate removal, Apple's going to have about a year to figure out a solution. And I would bet heavily that with a year's time, Apple would be able to retain the feature on the watch indefinitely uh, and rework it to not have to violate Mossimo's patents. In fact, I've been told that they're working on this software fix that changes some of the underlying algorithms, some of the wording inside the blood oxygen saturation app to get that to happen. But for that to matter at all, it's really important for Apple that they win tomorrow. They win that appeal. Bloomberg's chief correspondent Mark Gurman there. Apple has increasingly used health and safety features to market its smartwatches, helping to turn the line into a $17 billion business for the tech giant. Elon Musk says he's uncomfortable growing Tesla's AI capacity without a larger share of voting control. The automaker is currently investing more than a billion dollars into its Dojo supercomputer project and working to develop humanoid robots. However, in a post on his social platform X, Elon Musk said that without 25% of voting control, he'd prefer to develop products independently. According to data compiled by Bloomberg, Musk currently owns more than 12% of the company. One of the things that caught my eye from the coverage of Davos this morning, and it's one of the things that I like about Davos because it does get you a chance to get an insight into some of the workplace trends that are happening. Mm. And there's a conversation uh, that the chair of PwC in the UK has been having about how the rise of AI actually means that more junior staff should spend more time in the office. His logic is is that a lot of the tasks that people used to get trained up on are now being taken over by the technology, which means face-to-face time is even more important. He says it could actually to help people accelerate them up the career ladder if they're spending more time 
in the office, meeting people, interacting with people. Uh, and he says that you need to be in the office four to five days a week if you want to succeed Ooh. in your career, which I'm quite sure plenty of people would disagree with. Yeah, OK, but very interesting advice, perhaps for younger people in the office, that you need that FaceTime, that learning time. I mean, interesting if you get paid more sooner in your career. Uh-huh. That's the upside, uh, here's the, isn't here's it? Here's the crux of it, yeah. People <laughs> yeah. might be interested in if they get that sort of motivation. Uh, let's get more now, though, on the US political story this morning. Donald Trump has won the first Republican Party caucus of the campaign in Iowa. Our executive editor for US government, Michael Shepard, joins us now from Iowa for more. Michael, great to have you with us on the programme. So the polls have predicted Donald Trump would win big. He did. Were there any surprises in his vote? Well, Stephen, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, Our team is still hard at work uh, parsing the results and uh, figuring out what's going to come next. As for surprises, look, results in any election are always a surprise, as polls can sometimes get it wrong ahead of time. And in tonight's caucuses, it was unclear beforehand just how much support Donald Trump would get. Iowa voters are famously independent-minded, but he did end up with 51% of votes from caucus goers, and that's even more than the support that was projected in the final poll of a local authoritative local newspaper taken days before tonight's caucuses. Okay, so that for Donald Trump. What about Ron DeSantis, who came in second? What does it mean for his campaign and indeed for Nikki Haley? Well, let's start with Ron DeSantis. Uh, And that's a good question, Carolyn. I'm glad you asked that about him, because for Ron DeSantis, this is uh, a vindication of his all-out bet on Iowa. He really banked on trying to win the Hawkeye State. Uh, He spent so much time in the months ahead of the caucuses. He visited all 99 counties in the state, crisscrossing, visiting so many different uh, voters. He set up Uh, an extensive ground operation. He Mm. brought in allies from Florida by the bus load and plane load to go door to door days before the caucuses in freezing cold temperatures. So it showed some motivation and actually had some effect. Now for Nikki Haley, look, the last thing she needed heading into New Hampshire, where she, she has bet big as a stepping stone to her home state of South Carolina, the last thing she needed was a third place finish. Uh, she had hoped to do well enough to Iowa to really use it as a launching pad into New Hampshire and then South Carolina, but it didn't work out exactly as she had hoped. And that last poll I just mentioned, uh, taken days before the vote, had actually shown her finishing ahead of DeSantis here. Mm, And the field already narrowing after this caucus, Vivek Ramaswamy dropping out of the race. What went wrong for his campaign? Well, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy never really caught fire with more than just the segment that he really appealed to, the very uh, independent-minded and even more libertarian uh, voters. And in places like Iowa and and South Carolina, he it was hard for him to fit in. His message just didn't take hold. And he, in essence, uh, sort of acknowledged that during his uh, his speech, he said in the uh, campaign, uh, his speech tonight endorsing Trump, he said, in tonight's race, there are two America first candidates. Uh, now there's only one with me leaving. And that, of course, is pointing to Donald Trump. So he was signaling that many of the positions that he was espousing were already ones that were reflected by Trump, and he has now thrown his support for the former president. Okay. Um, just lastly and, and briefly, then, the key things to watch out for next as we move towards the New Hampshire primary that takes place next week. 
Well, this is really crucial for the DeSantis campaign to make the most of New Hampshire, where they haven't invested nearly as much time as Nikki Haley has. Uh, she has the endorsement of the uh, governor there, who's been campaigning very aggressively in the Granite State for her. Um, she also enters that state, DeSantis does too, facing a very different electorate. Uh, it's not nearly as conservative as Iowa. So we could see a different result. It could uh, pivot and actually uh, leave Nikki Haley ahead of Ron DeSantis, but behind Trump. But we'll have to see there. Trump is seeking to turn his absolute majority win tonight into something that will allow him to pivot sooner to this general election matchup with Joe Biden in November. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.